Um, can I call you? Okay, yeah, call. Help you sneak out, okay? Yeah. I'm gonna wait here until she comes. Sandy. I'm gonna honk four times. I'll go one, two, three, four, and then you'll hear it and you'll know she's on her way up. Okay. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. Well, it's for me to know and you to find out. Don't you fucking look at me. Life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 45, Blue Velvet. So, big news right off the bat. Something we talk about every single episode. Finally, the entire library available on iTunes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, No longer will it only be the last 20 in our iTunes feed, you will now have access to all 45 episodes plus all of the ones that follow this one. This is huge news in for our me. iTunes feed. I've always been an iTunes guy. I've never been a Podbean guy. So <laughs> I now have access to these early year episodes again. Early year. And it's been a great ride. Yeah, so if you're new to the show, we highly recommend checking out some of our early episodes maybe not the first five yeah or so yeah. or six or seven i don't know at some point it gets more listenable 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some debate about that, but yeah, I mean, I'd say so. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you can still follow us on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and, you know, let us know what you think of the episodes. Right. We like having an open dialogue with the listeners. <laughs> Yeah, the greatest moments in the history of forever is like an interactive uh, community. Absolutely, of cool dudes and <laughs> very cool dudes. Maybe a few cool chicks. Probably not. We have yet to hear from them, but <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. But anyway, so Blue Velvet, <laughs> the David Lynch directed. Yeah, Blue Velvet is now considered like an American masterpiece, one of the best films of the 1980s. Um, influential, creative, different, bizarre, innovative in a lot of its ideas and techniques. Kind of seen as a precursor to David Lynch's work with uh, Twin Peaks, which would come a few years later. Yeah, it's definitely his most similar movie to that material. Technically, if you go back to one of our very first episodes where mm-hmm. we talked about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me the deleted scenes the entire mystery yeah this would be our i believe our first repeat on any director's work true yeah kind of an odd doubling do up that, but yeah. yeah i mean i'm i'm a pretty big fan of uh almost everything david lynch has done i, I can't say that i've seen every single movie yeah, that he's made. Yeah, I haven't made. seen his newer stuff. Um, what are your thoughts on Dune? Never saw it. That's kind of a hard watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of issues coming out of making Dune, which kind of led to Lynch wanting to make a more, a smaller, more personal film, and that's kind of the road he went down that led to Blue Velvet. I hope this wasn't personal to him. <laughs> <laughs> He knew a uh, Frank-like character from his life. So, like a lot of uh, Lynch's material, uh, kind of the central idea is an idyllic town. Small town. what goes on underneath in the shadows. Uh, The dark, seedy underbelly, if you will. And... I don't know if it's just because of Twin Peaks being originally like a television show and it kind of being a more slow burn and a slower reveal, but there's nothing quite as jarring as the turn in Blue Velvet from when we go to kind of this quasi-50s era-looking placid town to... Just the insanity <laughs> underneath the surface. Yeah, just this surreal, dark, twisted world. You have Jeffrey Beaumont, like uh, played by Kyle MacLachlan, um, very uh, kind of a clean-cut, regular American college Joe, uh, forced to come home and, and help out with the family when his dad has a uh, stroke. At the beginning of the film. Um, yeah. Uh, which, it's a very over-the-top stroke that he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, 
I think you've pointed out. I mean, it's it's the type of thing like when we see him later in the hospital. Oh, like you don't up. think he's making it? No, <laughs> he's hooked up to every insane apparatus. He looks ridiculous. He has like one of the. He can't talk. He has like one of those trachea things. Uh, and yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any way that he's recovering from this. Right. Yeah, and I mean. Even in something like that, which is not even central to the main story, you can kind of see like Lynch's eye for the grotesque and bizarre on display here. It Um, is almost comical how his dad in the hospital. It's like insane. (laughs) And, you know, Jeffrey's kind of just presumably just hanging around. Not a whole lot to do. No, he's back in town kind of just looking after his mom and his weird aunt. Is it ever made clear if he's, like, missing class? Has he... I mean, is this, like, in the middle of a semester? I impression. I mean, high school's in. We know that. Yeah. So it seems like that's very much a possibility. Uh, but his father's a small business owner, as many people are in the small town of Lumberton. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. So he's got to check in on the shop, make sure everything's going all right. Although he doesn't seem to be spending too much time doing anything responsible, really. Right. And so it's it's easy for him to kind of get pulled into this mystery. Um, He's got he, a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> He's walking back from the hospital and he is just absentmindedly tossing some rocks at uh, some debris and like a little shack and some cans and stuff. And then as he's picking up or he's trying to find rocks to throw, uh, he finds a human severed ear in the middle of this abandoned field. He's like, hmm. <laughs> I better investigate. What happened here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for if it was me, I would have just taken one look at that ear and just head for Z Hills. Yeah, I never <laughs> talked about it again. Yeah, that never happened. Right. <laughs> Only trouble can come from, you know, finding severed body parts. I, I, I would have been like, what is that? Oh, that's it. And then I just like throw up. <laughs> all over the ear. Yeah. Contaminating I mean, like, all evidence. All over it. I yeah, mean, it's already like, starting it, to uh, uh, rot. Decompose. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's like just the bugs. If I just saw the bugs with no ear, I mean, that would be enough for me to run. <laughs> like our old apartment. Well, yes. Really. <laughs> Um, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> and so he decides to pick up the ear and put it in this like greasy little paper bag that he finds near it and take it to the police. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going against what we you know now know in 2016. I mean, you probably shouldn't pick anything up. I mean, disease right. and all that stuff aside, I mean, you're just potentially contaminating evidence yeah i mean it's basically a crime scene at that point potentially at least right and i feel like you kind of make yourself a suspect uh maybe i mean it's possible so he how'd you find this ear (laughs) you know (laughs) what are you doing in that field right (laughs) oh Uh, i was looking for rocks to throw (laughs) it's like like we believe that you're in your 20s he gets arrested for vandalism (laughs) And they never even invest. Right. They throw the ear in the trash. <laughs> um, they're like, we're going to need to see your cell phone. So Just breaks it. He takes it to one of the local cops that I, it kind of seems like he knows, like his yeah, father knows him. Glad and, to live in close proximity. 
which is, you know, understandable. It's presumably a pretty small town, although not everybody knows everybody. It's not like right. a tiny town, right, right. but it's pretty small. Yeah. Um, this kind of all leads to uh, Jeffrey getting involved with the police officer's daughter, Sandy. Yeah. Played by a, a young Laura Dern. He's like, my Sandy, you've grown up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a reconnection. Like, it seems like they have some kind of a past. Yeah, but it seems like from years ago. Yeah, probably. She's in high school now, presumably at least a junior or a senior, something. Right. I mean, we don't want Jeffrey to come off as too big of a creep here. No, but no. <laughs> And she kind of... Uh, adds to the mystery because after Jeffrey delivers the ear to the cops then he's kind of like well I want to keep yeah I want to know more so he follows up on it and shows up at the at their house at their the house, cops house the cops house and uh that's when he kind of you know reconnects with Sandy she ends up telling well, him Well it's actually really weird because he it's when he leaves the house right she's kind of just walks out of the shadows where she was like lurking outside and she's like hey i, I don't know like what does she even say like she'll help him well said that she tells him that she's overheard right, her okay. father talking about the ear and she thinks that it has some sort of a uh connection to this local nightclub singer right which who knew that that was something that would exist in a town like lumberton that's true Someone whose sole profession is nightclub singer. Yeah. She's able to make money performing regularly doing this. Uh, apparently. The house singer at this <laughs> fucking rinky-dink bar. What is that place called? Like the slow... I can't remember. This it, this kind of all has like the Twin Peaks feel too because there is like the diner scene and then there's like the bar, you know, all yeah. the little spots in town. Yeah, yeah. you can definitely see... Um, where Twin Peaks came from oh, yeah. in this movie. So, uh, what's it? Jeffrey decides, all right, well, let's look into this. Let's look into this nightclub chick. Even though we really can't figure out how, wh- where they're drawing this connection from with the ear. Other, well, well, other than the conversation, just, right. uh, it seems like Sandy's heard like bits and pieces. Yeah. And when her father has talked about this ear, this woman has come up so i wonder if they were able to trace the ear to who it belonged to who knows yeah we don't know so jeffrey decides that he'll enlist sandy as his little assistant to help him investigate right the absurdity of the plan that they come up with can't be overstated but i think what we're supposed to take from this is that Jeffrey's an idiot. The ear itself, finding the ear, the act of finding this ear is, has started unraveling something for Jeffrey. Um, I mean, he does flat out say it right. several times yeah. about like, he I've feels like something here my eyes I'm, have been opened for yes. the first time. I'm There's, seeing things. This whole thing has been going on and I never knew it. And now I'm finding out about it and I can't stop finding out about it. Yeah, basically, Jeffrey and Sandy are two kids that that grew up in this perfect kind of dreamlike suburban area that nothing bad has ever happened in, nothing remotely um, violent or scary or dangerous or anything. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a, a human's severed ear. Right. 
and it kind of just it opens Jeffrey's eyes in a way that like he never expected because now he's understanding that the world that he knew his whole life is not what it seemed. Right. And so they develop this whole plan that they're going to, they want to go into the nightclub singer, Dorothy Vallis. Is that her name? Something like that. Yeah. It's Dorothy something. Yeah. So he gets Sandy and he's like, all right, I got a great plan. I'm going to dress up as a bug sprayer dude. Right. And go into her apartment and tell her it needs to, it's like, look, your apartment's infested. I need to spray it down. And then you're going to come to the door dressed as a Jehovah's Witness. While I'm in there. Right. And distract her long enough for me to jimmy the window and then get out. Doing Accomplishing what while he's inside? Yeah, I don't know because... Dorothy lives in a big apartment building right. and not on the first floor. No. So I don't know how he's going to get to any of her windows from the outside. <laughs> and then what? Plummet to his death once he <laughs> jimmies the window open? Well, yeah. I mean, well, how's he get... Uh, the, ideally, I think, is that he'll op- a, they, he'll unlock a window and open it a little bit, and then he'll be able to get into the apartment through that window. But how is he going to get to that window? Right. I don't know. But even this vague idea with no knowledge of the blueprints, the architecture, the construction of this building, I just feel like it's a very loose detail in the plan. <laughs> yeah. like, I, if I was Sandy, I'd be like, oh, wait, go back to the part where you jimmy the window. What is that going to do? That's a very vague thing. Yeah. What if you get in there and it's these old industrial style windows that only open like this bizarre way? I know yeah, I, I mean, about construction. I, <laughs> Well, just the idea that she's not on the first floor. I right. just don't understand how he's going to get to her window. Right. And, I mean, that's Sandy is like, okay, well, what if she's on not on the first floor? And Jeffrey's like, then we abort. That should have been part of the plan. <laughs> but, that you know, it doesn't happen like that because right. he's able... He's able to grab a spare set of keys that she just happens to have, you know, hanging out or whatever. <laughs> For some reason, yeah, most people just keep... Spare keys to their apartment hanging uh, out in the I mean, open. I don't know if that's that unbelievable. I don't know. What if she, you know, just, you know, where else are you going to keep them? I don't know. It just, she yeah, just has them and she just keeps them on this weird little hook under right. the kitchen cabinet or In whatever. case she ever locks herself out, they'll handily be right inside. So later on then, you know, they go see her perform. They leave while she's performing at this bar. Right. And the idea is that he's going to use the spare keys to break into her apartment to do what? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, what what do you think he's going to find here? It's Yeah, he seems to think that he's going to be able to find something to tell him more about this severed ear. Because at that point, that's all he knows about. They don't know anything at all other than there was an ear found in a field. Right. And And that the police are potentially investigating this nightclub singer. But they don't know why... they were investigating her in the first place. Right. And I was pointing out another shoddy part of their plan that I didn't understand, which you kind of pointed out is actually more just to serve like as something where David Lynch can film like a musical number. But the fact that they go and like sit in the bar and order drinks and watch her perform instead of just like like going in checking in and be like okay she's working tonight and then go straight to her apartment right but as you uh you know schooled me on <laughs> this is not actually serving the plot right they wanted to have like the odd musical performance right. of blue velvet it's the first time it's in the movie 
Um, it's kind of, you know, central to some of the things that come up later. But um, yeah, so some pretty dynamite interactions with them in kind of a what feels like a date like sequence. They're drinking beers at this bar. She's clearly underage Very and has underage. a boyfriend. And he's like, have you ever had a Heineken? Because, you know, most high school girls are downing German beers. <laughs> he's like, really into Heineken right. for some oh, reason. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, because he's a pretentious college ass. <laughs> it's just like he probably, like if this movie took place years later, he would have been like a big OAR and Dave Matthews fan as well. <laughs> but uh, He'd have like a hacky sack. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course... Sandy's is it she's like yeah I mostly drink bud that's what my dad drinks or whatever and he's like king of beers <laughs> <laughs> so they drive back to Dorothy's apartment yeah he go he tells her to take the car back to her house and he'll he'll walk back and get it um she's gonna she comes up with the plan that she's gonna beep four times when she arrives so that Jeffrey will know yeah. When Dorothy gets back, which is like quick on quick thinking by her, he ha- had no plan. Right, he wanted her to leave right away. He yeah. didn't, and I mean, to be fair, he was kind of being protective of her. He True. didn't. He did. He he kind of granted. He drags her into this in the first place, but he's he always tries to keep her at somewhat of a distance right. from getting too involved. Um, at this point, though, it should be noted that they neither of them have any idea what they're involved they're getting involved with right this at this point seems like that crazy at this point there's a severed ear and there's a nightclub singer and that's all they don't know anything else when he's spraying the apartment does the yellow man show up yeah he does but he doesn't know right i mean as far as he knows that could just be anybody right um because i don't think we overhear anything that's said really yeah um, and when I say the yellow man, that's not some racial slur against Asian people. He actually <laughs> refers to a man dressed in a yellow suit jacket as the yellow man. It should be noted that insects are a big like recurring right. thing. And yellow jacket, obviously, is a bee. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey goes in there as an uh, exterminator. exterminator. And, you know, one of the first shots of the film is of grass and then it kind of pans down to like these insects beneath the grass and then there's insects on the ear. Yeah. And like Uh, it seems like the first time I ever saw this, I kind of thought like something was going on with the bugs. Like that was a part of it. Like, because when his dad has the stroke, I thought he was like a bit or something by a bug. Cause then it like focuses on a bug in the grass. Right. The, obviously, bugs and insects are like an important, like symbolic thing here, but they they're not directly involved with the plot. No, it's Jeffrey's just kind of tooling around in this chick's apartment, not I knowing mean, what he's looking for. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, he at, so, at what point does he think drawer. to himself, "This was a huge mistake. Like, what am I doing?" Yeah, it's like at what point do you look around the room and you're just like, "Maybe I've taken this a bit far." What what am I doing right now? What am I going to find? I've taken a key to someone's house, and now I'm in it while they're at work. <laughs> but he's comfortable enough to take a big piss and then <laughs> flush the toilet so he can't hear uh, Sandy beep the car horn four times. So he's kind of caught right. off guard when Dorothy comes back into the Just apartment. Just like an industrial flush on that toilet. <laughs> well, I think the point there is just to have him you know, be caught off right. guard. And that's the only logical thing they could come up with. Yep. But uh so he has to hurry up and dash into the closet 
and it's <laughs> I should have looked up what that kind of closet oh, is yeah, called. <laughs> right, I it's like the kind of closet where you can kind of like see through it. <laughs> right. It's like uh you know, you know, with the slanted uh tears. <laughs> <laughs> tears, yeah. So he can kind of spy from inside the closet. Uh Dorothy comes in, you know, she obviously thinks she's alone. She takes her wig off. Right. Um just disturbing the viewing audience. <laughs> that wasn't her real hair. <laughs> she has kind of a she takes her dress off so she's like in her underwear and then she has like this very uh dramatic phone call that we only hear her side of. Right. And it at this point She's very emotionally distraught though. Yeah, we we don't know what's going on, but if anything, the phone call serves to kind of like introduce some dread into this. Yeah, as if you hadn't, if you weren't feeling it enough at the idea that he's now trapped in her apartment. With Things her. are starting to heighten, right? Yeah, you're like, what? This seems like there's potential for some real danger here. What is going on? Um, she goes into the bathroom, takes off her bra and underwear, and puts on a a, a blue velvet robe and comes out, um, that's when he kind of makes a noise in the closet that she kind of subtly reacts to, but then quickly right. acts like she didn't hear. And he's like, foof, she knows, she doesn't know. <laughs> but then she goes over into the kitchen and gets a giant <laughs> knife yeah. and then you know, abruptly opens the closet door to confront oh. him. <laughs> right. And Cat has his tongue here. He doesn't know what the hell to say. Yeah, now he's caught. Uh, she he's obviously... Like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing here. She obviously uh, doesn't know why he's there. She eventually, I guess, recognizes him as the guy that was spraying for bugs. But, like, she wants to know his name. What is he doing here? And he's not really... He does say his name's Jeffrey, but, she, you know, he's not really giving her answers quickly enough. Until um, she you know slashes his face yeah so she cuts his face a little bit she's under the impression that he's just kind of a pervert like a voyeur who wanted to see her changing and whatever yeah and doing that kind of stuff right and she's like we kind of find out right now that she's kind of a fucked up lady because she's kind of into this and she has him disrobe she wants to see him now now I guess if you're going to break into a chick's apartment, this is kind of the reaction you would hope if you got caught. This is an absolute best case scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So she's into this. Yes. All right. (laughs) I did not see this going this way, but I'm glad it is. Yeah, because he strips down to boxer shorts and... She starts performing fellatio. Yeah, she she gets down on her knees in front of him, pulls down his boxer shorts and starts like kissing him and blowing him, really. Which it has to be a shocking turn of events. <laughs> but she's, That was unexpected. But, like, it's done in a way where it's, like, it's not... It doesn't feel like a cheesy porno because there's right. obviously this overwhelming sense of dread and, like, she's kind of clearly insane in a way <laughs> yeah. that we don't understand. But not just, like, oh, this is an insane thing she's doing. She gives off the vibe as if she's not all there. Right. Mentally and that as the, as if she's acting I mean, out she, some kind of thing that she doesn't really understand. Right. There's almost 
even when she's being aggressive with him, there's like a nervousness to her voice. She like kind of yells and almost shrieks when she talks. Right. And I mean, as you go along in the film, you can kind of go back to this and, and kind of put some of the pieces together and be like, well, does she at first think he's involved with what's already going on with That's her? That's what it seems like. Right. And there's it, oddly, there's almost this sense of relief when she decides that he is just a voyeur pervert guy <laughs> yeah. who's unrelated to any of the other chaos. She's going like, happy on in to her have life. you here. <laughs> but they're interrupted relatively quickly. Right. Um, Jeffrey Beaumont, get in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, is there a knock on the door, I guess? or Yeah, or a pound. <laughs> <laughs> and in walks Dennis Hopper. Right. In just an unbelievable performance. Um, Frank. <laughs> Frank is like the world run amok. He is... The darkest possible figure. He is basically what we are going to be left with after four years of a Trump presidency. <laughs> <laughs> he is the feminist's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is a walking... I mean, really everyone's, though. Talking sociopathic <laughs> madman. S&M. <laughs> a sadistic monster. Drug addict. Who is living out this bizarre Oedipal fantasy where he is both the daddy and the baby. And Dorothy right. is his bizarre mommy that he wants to fuck. Emotional mood swings at like the drop of a dime just... <laughs> All over the place. Obsessed with Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> obsessed with bourbon. Where's my bourbon? And obsessed with Blue Velvet in a way that we'll never fully understand. Right. Not just the song, but the, the actual, actual material. <laughs> so we see why she changed into the uh, Blue Velvet robe. Right. So he walks in. He demands bourbon. He sits across from her. She has a special chair that she sets up directly across from him mm -hmm. he keeps asking her to open her legs wider it should be noted that isabella rossellini i believe is her name she uh decided not to wear underwear while filming that scene unbeknownst to hopper or anyone yeah and so, she was in for quite a show <laughs> he starts and the music really kind of the musical cue here is great because he keeps this like tank on his waist and when he like unscrews it and you can hear the uh the gas turn on the, yeah the, like it turn on like start coming out like as if you were uh turning on like um a helium thing to blow up a balloon or right. something the musical cue here it, it's just this dark foreboding music comes on and you're just like what is happening right now yeah just and, like this ominous he takes out this gas mask and he starts to suck this chemical, which... We don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, presumably it's amyl nitrate, which heightens, like, sexual experiences. But originally... It heightens a lot for him. Originally, it was supposed to be helium. And oh, really? And his voice was going to sound weird. Oh, that would have been an interesting... And David Lynch Swerve. realized that that's stupid. Audiences would laugh. Yeah, and he, they weren't supposed to laugh. Right, and he realized that was dumb. And I think Dennis Hopper was the one <laughs> who suggested yeah. 
that it should be amyl nitrate, um, which was something people did. I, I assume people still do it, but people it, on it, this it, podcast, it, it was like a bigger deal in the eighties. Right. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know really how many people do it. People now. using it in combination with cocaine. Yeah, I mean, I it seems like For an impractical thing to have to do, but carry you know. a uh, <laughs> tank around on your side. Pull out a mask, but it and this sends him into this bizarre oh, frenzy. Of, he already talks so bizarre and is like kind of this obnoxious character, and this just takes him to a whole nother level. He's super frank. <laughs> He's screaming out "fuck" every two seconds, and this is where the film kind of devolves into this shockingly frightening kind of an off-putting thing where he he punches her in the face a couple of times. Right, uh, screaming, you know, don't look at me, and this just the shit that comes out of his mouth here horrifying. is so insane. He's saying things like "baby wants to fuck." She's taking like the uh, the waistband, the tie thing of the robe, and like putting it in his mouth. <laughs> right, and then Which he really gets him going. Eventually, like gets puts her on the floor and gets on top of her and like dry humps her until he comes. Right. <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a show. Yeah. But the thing that I think a lot of people might find especially for uh Jeffrey looking on from the closet. Right. Well, I think the thing that a lot of people might find even more like the most disturbing is her reaction to being hit in the face. Yeah. Which is orgasmic only almost. Like she's enjoys it in a way that is unsettling right and at this point we don't know what the dynamic is between these two she's obviously scared of him but i mean it feels like this has been going on for a while yeah um well later jeffrey will surmise that he thinks that she wants to die um and we we kind of get that last line from frank here when he says uh, do it for Van Gogh, right? Which is an obvious reference to someone's ear being cut off. Mm-hmm. So we we know that there's some kind of a connection here. Afterward, there's kind of a weird couple of moments between Jeffrey and Dorothy. Eventually, he just kind of uh, like yeah, leaves. Just... She she kind of wants him to leave, then she wants him to stay. Yeah, well, then her, she wants well, him she's to leave. All over the place. And then he's gonna leave, and then she wants him to stay, I but mean, he leaves anyway. He's obviously horrified by what he just witnessed, but he comes out and he tries to console her, right? Yeah. And I mean, but that's the thing with her. From here for the rest of the movie, any interaction with her. Her mindset shifts like like it seems like sometimes she knows who Jeffrey is. Sometimes it's like she's seeing him for the first time, and this continues for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and she sometimes mistakes him for her husband, right? Who you looks know, nothing like him. We eventually find out is being like held captive by Frank, and that's how he's getting her to go along with these fucked up right things that he wants to do sexually. Um. In kind of like typical David Lynch fashion, we don't always get all the answers from the film itself, which I think in this case kind of works because right. we're viewing this from Jeffrey's eyes. Mm-hmm. We're never going to know the whole story. 
why would we know every detail about this? Because we only are seeing it from an outsider's perspective halfway through. So halfway they, through this weird fucked up chain of events yeah. that's led the you know the so we don't know we don't really know why some of the stuff is happening but it's happening. So maybe now is a good time to point out a discussion we had which is at what point do you say enough is enough I can get away from this with little effect on myself. It's not well, certainly e- now but yes, I would have already to, done it. <laughs> but this has to be the the top moment where you're just like, I mean, this is what it's like. Jeffrey's like, I found an ear. Am I out yet? No, I had a weird thing where I went into her, her apartment and stole her key. I mean, at that point, you could have been like, maybe this is a bit much. Yeah, I should a- not do this. After this, after being blown fact- at knife point, right? <laughs> and then that, watching this whole thing play out, the fact that you wouldn't run away and just like. Try to have that fucking operation from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, mom, good luck with dad in the I'm hospital. Going I'm going back to college. Yeah. This was a mistake. I, right. I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Something's rotten in Lumberton. <laughs> um, from here, um, I mean, at this point, we're already, you know, fairly... I don't want this podcast to turn into like a two and a half hour episode. So, I mean, there's still so much to get through. So. Okay. That's needless to say. Shut up, Matt. <laughs> no, no, no. This yeah. is like we're just gonna kind of speed. Th- we're just gonna try to hit some of the highlights because okay. I, mean, I mean we can't right. go through every. This thing goes. Needless to say, you need to see this movie. Yeah, there's there are a lot of details. <laughs> so Jeffrey, against Sandy's wishes, continues to be involved in this. Um, How he much goes, does he tell her? I mean, obviously, he doesn't tell her about the being blown. No, and and it doesn't seem like he gives her the full details about what he watches Frank do, but he kind of, and some of it seems to be guesswork on his part, because he kind of just lays out some of the stuff that I just said about, like, you know, something to do with her husband and son, because he watched her pull the picture out, Mm -hmm. and then he later looks at what that is and whatever. Um, and he obviously overheard the phone call and then Frank's th- semi-threatening do it for Van Gogh line. So, I mean, yes. he's kind of putting some of this together and right. then he kind of, he can kind of guess at what's going on here. He gives, uh, if what, if, if what Jeffrey experienced and saw was like the NC 17 version, he's giving like Sandy, like down. a PG 13 right. version of the events. So he continues to be involved with Dorothy and it ends up leading to him getting caught at her apartment by Frank and his gang of misfits who are right. which now he's in it. I mean, right. And this is like one of my favorite sequences of the whole movie um is them going for a ride with Frank. Yes. <laughs> he takes he's got about a, a group of like four or five guys um, plus Frank, plus uh, Dorothy and Jeffrey, and they all get into Frank's. They all cram into like Frank's tra- Dodge right. Charger. Going over to Ben's house, I believe is the yeah. character's name. I don't even. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's his house or, or what it is. Yeah, and Ben seems to be like a partner in crime, right? With Frank, because it becomes pretty he's clear a very that weird, whimsical character, effeminate, yeah, clearly wearing makeup, yes. 
Uh, Frank keeps calling him suave. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what it shows up in the fucking... One of my favorite lines in the movie is, uh, the beer's going to get warm. One thing I can't fucking stand, it's warm fucking beer makes me puke. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and it's kind of odd, too, that they all stand around waiting for glasses rather than just drinking <laughs> out right. of the bottles. Yeah. It's like it's they just, have to yeah. be very proper. It is a very just odd scene. Yeah, well, this is... Okay, so Ben's place is basically like some sort of a whorehouse with these giant pig women. <laughs> I mean, no offense, but I yeah, mean these. Well. I don't think when they went into casting, they were like, "We want attractive prostitutes no. <laughs> here." I mean, these women are all easily three bills, right? Or very close to it, and, and they're all very even, old. Not too. yeah, not the type that could even pursue careers as plus size models. No, no, no. And it's pretty clear that Ben is the one keeping. Dorothy's husband and child. They are there in that place, it seems like. Okay. Because remember, she goes into the room because she wants to see the child. Yeah, yeah. So these these are like a lot of like conclusions you have to kind of either jump to or, you know, read about online later because it's not really explicitly laid out, but it seems like Ben is somehow tied in with Frank and is a willing participant in now, whatever this plan Frank has. Because Jeffrey continues to report back to Sandy's dad sporadically throughout the movie. I, I, don't, I don't think he has again up until up to this point, but he doesn't ever mention this, this place to the cop, does he? Well, we don't really know yeah, what he true. tells him because that scene is kind of cut in a way where we don't know exactly... That's because that's after he finds out that the other the cop, yellow man right. is another cop. Yes, and he's tied in with this somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we never get the full picture. Right. We don't yeah. really know. You kind of have to speculate on a lot of these things. It seems like Frank is just tied in with a lot of like underworld criminal activity. Right. Because there's a whole thing about how the yellow man kills a drug dealer and steals all the drugs and. Frank is somehow involved with that. Yep. Frank's, you know, running around sometimes in a disguise uh, as the well-dressed man. <laughs> Which um, dubbed him that. <laughs> Jeffrey, because he's an idiot. Yeah. Who somehow couldn't tell that that was Frank until later in the movie. Right. But anyway, at Ben's, they do like a weird thing where they sing a Roy Orbison song, or Ben does, or he lip well, yeah, syncs it. Right. With instead of a microphone, he's, he's got like, like this a lamp or something, like a what flash oh, light yeah, lamp yeah, right, thing. Yeah. Uh, which seem it feels like it goes on forever. Uh, we kind of get some shots of Frank reacting to it, yeah, looking sort of morose at first, which sends him into a spiral towards flat out anger. <laughs> He has very like emotional reactions to things right. like songs and fabrics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one can only speculate as to what went wrong in his <laughs> upbringing <laughs> yeah. to turn him into this guy that he is today. Um, and this leads to them kind of at breakneck speeds driving out into the middle of nowhere. Kind of, I guess, to fuck with Jeffrey, he right. starts to like... Which they've already been pinched physically, Dorothy's nipples and oh yeah, messing with her. So that causes they bring Jeffrey some other random girl from the party. <laughs> yeah, uh, that causes Jeffrey to punch 
Frank in the face, which leads to them dragging him out of the car and Frank like smears all this lipstick on and like kisses him and then they all beat him up and leave him there. Right. So at that point I mean he's kinda you almost feel like he's getting off scot free. It's like, well they didn't kill it? him. Yeah. So don't you know Even don't though, be involved anymore. Right. I mean they really kinda let him know about a lot of stuff too. It's like apparently they're really not afraid. I mean, I guess specifically Frank. I mean, they really brought Jeffrey into a whole world of criminal activity. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, did do they, they like specifically say anything in, about it? I though? guess not. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like they're not really hiding it, but they're not really. Like I said, as a viewer, even you kind of have to start jumping to some That's of these true. conclusions because it's kind of like not really clear what's happening they're living in this bizarre world that we don't even understand (laughs) right who knows what they're doing one of the great things too is like they start playing music on the car while they're out uh beating jeffrey up and the girl that they brought with them gets on top of the car and starts dancing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's that that part just screams david oh yeah so one thing i want to i know we don't want to go over every detail but one thing i do want to bring up before uh, Frank's gang shows up at the apartment. So when Jeffrey's now going to the apartment and in, in there, he's engaging with consensual sex with Dorothy at this point. Right. Uh, which kind of going off your point and her reacting to him, to Frank hitting her, she asked Jeffrey to hit her. Right. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to get to this okay. next because this is kind of the, you see, when you look up things of, you know, that people, comment on or or even just full-blown articles of you know talking about this film there's an infinite amount of theories and possibilities and this means this and this is about this and this explores this or whatever and one of the the things that i take away personally is kind of this it's kind of like a a, a in david lynch's own unique way it's kind of this meditation on like the dual nature of man and like it's primalistic urges and kind of that fine line between being a a man and a beast or something if you want to you know get retarded about it but like (laughs) but you know what i'm saying like frank represents the most extreme id of the subconscious like Nothing's off limits. He is sexually aroused by violence, by um, incestuous themes, total control and domination. Um, Dorothy, to him, is not another human being. She's just a means to an end, really. Um, I wouldn't even, like, go so far to to describe her in a vulgar sense of like just being a slot because it's not even like he puts his penis inside of her. (laughs) She is just a, something to project whatever he wants. And you know, Lord knows the backstory here presumably is her husband is somehow tied in with this drug situation and he took a liking to her and he exploited this and, she has a young son, so he kidnapped the husband and the son 
to be able to force her having his way with her to do what he wants because it's not about rape necessarily it's not like it's the control well yeah but he also needs her to participate that's true in some way yeah. she needs to be to be the mommy in this weird uh game that he's playing she needs to say the right things she needs to do the right things in order for this to work for him so when she considers suicide as an option to get out of this life that she's living he decides to cut off her husband's ear as a warning like hey don't get any cute ideas here i'll torture your husband and son you know what i mean right you taking the easy way out is not going to help the situation the situation for them so on the one hand you have him and then on the other hand you have jeffrey who as i earlier described is like this clean cut kind of guy pretty normal he wants to do the right thing yeah uh he kind of wants to help dorothy he kind of starts to develop feelings for sandy who's like this blonde pure innocent I'm not saying she's like a child, but she's childlike. I don't know how innocent Mike thinks she is. <laughs> Poor Mike, her boyfriend. Um, the forgotten. But that's what she represents. This well, story. That's what she represents, right. even if she's not. I know. I you know, com- yes. completely innocent. But and so you know, Jeffrey wants to be the normal boyfriend, the good guy. You know, I think they're you know they're pretty careful to not let anything go too far between him and sandy because that's like this 50s perfect version like he's you know he's not gonna have sex with her or anything no at least not yet i mean it's 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 all very chaste and pure right and he's kind of introduced to this world and he kind of has these more baser desires for dorothy i mean he spies on her taking her clothes off um, she's very womanlike and sexual, and even though what he witnesses with Frank is very fucked up, there's probably this darker side to Jeffrey that thinks like, well, she's clearly experienced in things that I can't no even kidding. dream about. And oh, I know. There's this bizarre, like he he tries to fight it, but there's this attraction to her, and so like you said, he goes and he has sex with her, and. Since she's clearly fucked up, she wants him to hit her. And we're not talking about like smacking her on the ass. We're talking about no, that's like child's some, play. We're talking about closed fists to like the face and stomach or whatever uh, and like yeah, so brutal of, violence. Of all the things, of all the moments where I'd be like, "All right, I'm out." I mean, I just can't imagine a scenario where this happens. I'm just like without me reacting like what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, he gives in eventually, yeah. and he does hit her. Um, later, we're we're shown, you know, he's crying about it like a total pussy, <laughs> and that is like the moment that I'm talking about when I when I'm bringing up this dual nature. It's like this this conflict of not wanting to to cross into that territory, but there's this sexual desire in him that he isn't fully in control of, and that may be because of his inexperience, his age, whatever, or just his naivete when it came to like what people really are doing out there in the world. And granted, this is, you know, 
a very extreme version of it. Yeah, but I'd say so. Just like he doesn't, you know, he's confronted with things that like he didn't know existed, and now he doesn't know what to do when he's given the opportunity to partake. And I mean, well, especially because I, I feel I like d- he's trying to view himself as a hero in some way to right. this woman. And I do think ultimately. Jeffrey is a pretty good guy, but you even beyond the fact that he does hit her the one time, even and the fact that he how annoying he is goes over there pretty much with the intention to fuck her is clearly taking advantage <laughs> of, a of a situation that isn't like a woman who's doesn't seem to be entirely control of her life. Right, she's emotionally vulnerable in a way that he probably doesn't understand, but he just kind of senses, you know, that he can go in for the kill here and it's going to be a slam dunk. And of course it is because she's fucked up. But like, so, I mean, Jeffrey obviously is not without flaws because this is kind of him even going there at all to have sex with her, let alone giving in to her, asking him to hit her makes him kind of uh a little bit more morally ambiguous than he he at first comes off especially and i mean we do this a lot when we talk about older things but especially in the microscope of like a 2016 viewing versus like what was this 85 87 something like that like there there are some things that that jeffrey does that are like unforgivable in by 2016 standards yeah (laughs) obviously frank is insane and he is like you you don't it doesn't matter what year you're watching it he is this like evil guy but like lunatic i think jeffrey his actions become more questionable as kind of you know society kind of changes and evolves so where does the story go after uh frank and his posse just beat the shit out of jeffrey and leave him in that lot overnight what's what well that's when he step from there is that when he finally decides oh is he going to the police station to talk to sandy's dad well i think he is that when he sees the yellow man yeah yeah because he's his face is beat up and then eventually he does tell sandy's father but that's at at her house um he takes sandy on a date um yeah jeffrey's got a lot of big ambitions he's kind of it feels like he's really thinking he might be able to do the date two chicks at once type move right and i think that that speaks to what i was talking about where he's kind of living this double life now he's living the life he thinks he should be living with sandy where he this type of likes her and it never backfires granted he's stealing her away from her boyfriend but it's (laughs) but it's more but that's normal that happens in real life that's right that's just part of the deal whereas what's going on with dorothy and frank and that whole thing is just you know a whole other (laughs) it's a whole other universe it's Uh, this dark side of him that he can't quite control and i think you know when they okay so the I, I the order of these things is kind of jumbled but whatever so he takes Sandy to this date and when he's bringing her home they're chased by this car that he thinks is Frank it turns out that it's actually Mike her boyfriend right him and his uh, buddies want to beat uh Jeffrey up it's they, been like a grinding experience the uh Sandy and Mike's relationship a lot of like 
Jeffrey picking her up at school, her having conversations with Jeffrey like, hey, uh, you know, I like hanging out with you, but I love Mike. He's my boyfriend. But on the other hand, I'll do anything you want me to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, So, you know, it's finally their relationship has come crashing down and she's kind of like openly more seeing Jeffrey now. Mike gets his whole crew together and they think they're going to beat Jeffrey up. They kind of get Jeffrey to pull over and they want him to get out of the car. But just as this is happening, a completely nude Dorothy shows up on what is it the doorstep or kind of comes out of the bushes. And Right. Now, this thing that I'm looking at here says that it's Jeffrey's front lawn, but right. I, I actually think it's Sandy's well, because... Well, Mike asked if it's Jeffrey's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. Which, I mean, because this, obviously when this happens, and this kind of like speaks to like the level of what this is in this town. I mean, what it would be for anybody, but it's just like, Mike, who is just so viscerally angry, like, fuck you, Jeff, I'm going to fucking... As soon as they see this like lunatic nude in this wig show up they're just like i'm sorry man see ya (laughs) yeah like we're out of here well she's beat up too right um she's completely out of it and you know they like bring her inside now this is apparently based off of something that happened to david lynch when he was very young him and his brother saw this really naked woman like wandering around and it really like messed with him and left a lasting impression on yeah. him. So it's during this kind of whole thing where they're kind of trying to bring her in the house. They're calling an ambulance, all this stuff. They're at Sandy's house, I believe. Yes, and Sandy really wants to help. I mean, she's like really but distraught. <laughs> she's like, I can't believe this. And, you know, but it's slowly starting to turn the more that Dorothy is like. Dorothy's kind of rambling and saying things that are kind of like revealing. really cozying up to Jeffrey in and, a way that yeah, and she's seems kind very of comfortable. Letting the cat out of the bag that something may have been going Jeff, on. Well, yeah, by, you know, secret or not, uh, not so subtly referring to him as her lover. <laughs> and Sandy just, when this realization is coming over, just kind of goes from like, oh, we got to help this lady to like, what, what is, go- you've been like. Yeah, Lord Dern's, Dern's face in this is like unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Her like. About to cry, like sad faces, so over the top. Right. It's perfect. Yeah, but she somehow manages to forgive Jeffrey for all of this. But um, <laughs> so Jeffrey decides that he has well, to go back to Dorothy's apartment, and he tells Sandy to send the police there, including her father. And then this kind of sets up like the cli- like the climax of the film, like the last thing. And we don't know again. This is like what I was talking about before, where we don't get the whole story. We don't know what kind of scene was playing out. Yeah, I mean this in the apartment. This is like a just a great scene the way it's like staged though, because you are just like, I mean Jeffrey just walks into this place and it is just like, what the hell happened here? Uh, you've got one dude dead tied up in a chair, another guy who appears to be dead standing straight up with like blood coming out of his head and some sort of lobotomy going on because yeah. his brain is like exposed but he's right. still alive but he's yes. standing uh the man that's dead with it's, a gunshot wound to the head is uh Dorothy's husband 
identified, you know, by the ear being cut off. Right. And um, the, the yellow man yeah. is the guy with the brain injury, um, but he's still kind of alive. But it's like, what? How was he? I mean, trying to. Obviously, it's not hard to figure out how Dorothy's husband was killed. I mean, he's tied up in a chair. But how was. I mean, we, we I think we have to assume that Frank did whatever to the uh, yellow man. Right. It just like what? How did that happen? Just seemingly I mean, an uncontrollable rage. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it had to happen. It seems while the yellow man's guard was down or something because he has a gun. Well, yeah, he probably just swung a hammer at his head or yeah. something that right. caused that to happen. But like, obviously, this is where Dorothy has come from. Frank is not there at the time. Now we didn't really speak on this before, but. So Dorothy how'd she end obviously up at his house? nude. Yeah, how, how does how does she know where he lit? Or... Well, she did look at his ID. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which in theory Somehow she remembered it. Um, <laughs> so or you don't know if she was left there. So Jeffrey I... gets on the police radio and reveals that he's there at the apartment with kind of the scene that's been going on, but he realizes. That Frank has While a he's radio. doing it, that Frank has a radio. So then he gives out false information saying he's hiding in the back bedroom, which then he's going to hide in the same closet that he hid in before, which is in like the front room. Frank, um, not one to think things out, and he reacts very, you know, immediate as to what he thinks he knows. Just, you know, starts making a scene as soon as he comes to the apartment, yelling. and Now he's dressed... As the well-dressed man, he had... He, he had I don't know why. <laughs> the disguise on... Yeah, we don't know... All of these little factors, we don't know how they all are together. We don't know... We can't reconstruct what possibly was going on. Even the fact that this outfit comes to be known as the well-dressed man. I mean, so much... It's like... It's not like this is just what it's listed in the cast as. Jeffrey is saying... <laughs> Oh, it's Frank. He's dressed as the well-dressed man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Frank, of course, doesn't know exactly where Jeffrey is. Right before Frank came in, he took the yellow man's gun. So Jeffrey's armed now. And then Frank's wandering around the apartment looking for him. Comes back into the front room, starts acting erratically, shoots the yellow man in the head, finishing him off. Right. (laughs) He's about to open the closet door, and then Jeffrey shoots him, blowing his brains out, basically, and killing him. Uh, And then Laura Dern and her dad show up. Yeah, for some reason, Uh, Sandy Sandy shows up. Tagging along. Bring your daughter to work day. Well, it seems like she must have gone separately, because you point out she comes into the apartment first. I feel like there's (laughs) no way that... Her dad sent her in first, so hey, I'm assuming she, check just, it out. she got there just a minute before <laughs> yeah. him, but it's just like, yeah, it is kind of weird. She goes in first. <laughs> Here, go tell me if it's safe. Because her dad kind of is this weird kind of quirky police character. Yeah. I mean, he very he tries to warn Jeffrey a few times to like not get mixed up, but Jeffrey continues to do so. But Jeffrey even tells him about the yellow man. Who, well, that's when he tells him to stop altogether. Yeah. He's like, don't say anything else. But that seemed to be earlier in the night before right. Dorothy showed up nude. Yes. That, um, was, that was pre-dance. Now, I will say about 
Sandy, she moves on very quickly. She's gone from being in a serious relationship with Mike to... <laughs> we don't know how serious it was. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but she, we get a conversation where her and Jeffrey are making up over the phone. Uh, she's like still very shaken by what she witnessed. And the, just the idea of what she knows about this Dorothy character that Jeffrey, who she sees as this sweet older dude... That he would be even getting involved with this. He stuck his dirty dick in her. Romantically. I mean, she's really disturbed by this, but she is like, but I am in love with you. (laughs) You know, which I've really been able to quickly forget about Mike, how (laughs) deeply I've fallen for you, which uh, I find Mike a very relatable character in that sense. But but yeah, so she immediately is just like, yeah, of course I forgive you and I love you too. Like, (laughs) so everything worked out great for Jeffrey. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well yeah it the ending of the film is kind of this neat little Wraps tidy nicely yeah you know bow on everything where jeffrey's father is out of the hospital their two families are now spending time together and everything's fine and even dorothy now is reunited with her son and she seems pretty happy even though her husband's dead although it's like i mean when is social services gonna i mean what do you think that kid's life was like <laughs> He was living at that uh, at Ben's oh, yeah. house of prostitution. Oh, Don Draper. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, don't you think at some point she is going to start to have some weird sexual thing with the kid? I don't know. I, I mean, just all the mistaken identity shit with Jeffrey. I mean, she is like unhinged. Well, she's fine because she went to the hospital. Oh, that's true. She's probably on some that. antidepressants. Medical now. care in the 1950s. Especially, well, for we you know we didn't really decide what I mean, year this is. I know <laughs> it's so unclear what it year. It could be nineteen fifty-five or nineteen eighty-five, or any year in between. What year did this actually come out? I believe it was uh, oh eighty-six. Okay, it do, it has an old feel to it, but as we talked about before, it seems like the cars look like they could be from like the seventies. Yeah, some of them definitely. Yeah, so yeah, I mean. This is definitely like a film that you kind of just need to experience it to fully, you know, grasp what's. Oh, totally. Because it's more about like mood and atmosphere and. What else works out? Doesn't uh, Jeffrey's dad recover? Yeah, I said that. That is insane. He's like completely normal again. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's almost. It almost feels like a little bit too perfect, right? Which I mean, because there's definitely like theories that no, that none of this really happens because the movie kind of zooms in on an ear, like all the way into it, the ear, and then yeah. at the end of it, it zooms, it, it, it zooms out of the ear as if like all of this took place in a head, in a mind. Yeah. Um. You know, there's different things like that. I don't know with with a with a film like this and with probably you know plenty of others some of which we may have even done episodes about or we will in the future i don't know if it's really that important to get bogged down in that kind of stuff it's fine to like read that and to think about it and to consider it but to just you know to to really worry about like oh well is this all a dream is this supposed to be real is this I mean, it doesn't really matter because obviously whether it's a dream or not or whether it's all supposed to be real or not doesn't matter because it's a movie. I mean, it's not real anyway. 
Good point. <laughs> it's not like a documentary, so it's like whether or not this is all taking place in someone's mind or not, it's still just a story that we're watching with characters. Yeah, so shut up with your dream theories. <laughs> and I mean, there there is a certain like hazy dreamlike feel to a lot of it because like i said you know and have pointed out several times we don't get all the details to everything and sometimes the jumps to different things kind of seem strange you're like well why would they make this like why would this character do this now and why would they end up here and why would he do this or whatever um and you know jeffrey in particular kind of makes a lot of assumptions and jumps to conclusions pretty quickly. Now, granted the original cut of the film was four hours. <laughs> Classic <laughs> David Lynch move. And I don't think, I don't think all of the deleted scenes have been released. There's a, there's a significant chunk, I believe on the, on the Blu-ray probably in it, in and of itself Blue enough Velvet, to be its the own entire movie. Mystery. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if every single one has ever come out, but, um, Let's talk about Kyle McLaughlin for a second. I mean, seemed like he had a little pr- promising, you know, possibility for a career there with, uh, you know, the lead in this, and then he's cast as the lead in Twin Peaks, and then you know, is the dude in Showgirls, <laughs> <laughs> where everything went awry. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, not everybody's gonna be a George Clooney or a, a Brad Pitt or no. uh, Brad Pitt or something Pitt. like that. I just think, you know, he's still pops up in things Absolutely, today. I mean, yeah. he's had basically a 30-plus year career. I, th- I would say that's right. pretty successful. Yeah. <laughs> he just didn't have quite the run of a leading man. No. But you'll have that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, David Lynch likes to work with the same people. Um, he, you know, Laura Jern was in Wild at Heart also. Yep. And... She'll actually be in the new Twin Peaks coming out next year, and mm-hmm. Kyle MacLachlan will be back for that. Yeah. So that's exciting. Absolutely. Anything else to say about Frank? Just an insane character. Uh, it's odd to me that he even has like a group of dudes that hang. Like Jack Nance is one of them. Right. Uh, I would be the one guy that I recognized from a pretty pivotal episode of the x-files who plays like a serial killer he's one of them um his other guys seem like lackeys a little bit uh although he seems to really like ben well ben seems more almost more of an equal than the guy right guys that he hangs around with that's it typically but yeah i would be afraid to be a lackey of his well yeah we don't know what went wrong with the yellow man and yeah. that dude his brain was like hanging out of right. his head <laughs> so i mean obviously it, you know which just sort of like one of those frank is always walking i mean and, it's a very unsettling sight to see the dude standing up with like the brain hanging out of his head but then when he has like a reflex move where he like punches the lamp next to him oh uh, when the radio like, goes off. oh yeah. yeah it's like oh boy <laughs> yeah i mean frank is always walking a very thin psychotic line right. you know it's yeah. just like at any moment it, he could erupt in violence and yeah. mayhem so kind of tough to be friends with a dude like yes. that i think yeah <laughs> so yeah uh i like it yeah it's a great movie it's fun to watch um it's a strange journey hope you, that you'll uh check it out if you haven't seen it yet as i mentioned earlier follow the show on twitter 
at Greatest Pod. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends to do that too. We could always use a few more subscribers. We might have some uh, new things coming up on this show soon, so be on the lookout. Yeah, I mean, different- basically getting all of our episodes to be in our iTunes feed. I mean, people maybe didn't quite grasp the full nature of why that was a big deal. This but has brought a whole new momentum to the show. It's opened and it, well, it's also opened a lot of new possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I think the show is really going to be evolving and getting bigger and better every time. <laughs> I'll say this, too. Don't be surprised if you start seeing some stickers popping around in the world. T-shirts. Yep. This it could summer. happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we're probably going to be going out on tour this summer. Yeah. We're going to have a meetup in Dallas, um, <laughs> the- Oklahoma City, um, Fargo, North Dakota, <laughs> uh, Boise, Idaho. Yeah. Portland, Oregon, the Vancouver, <laughs> the this ain't no dinner thing world tour, Juneau, Alaska. <laughs> anyway, let us know what you think. You know, send us a tweet. If you have Matt's number, you can text yes, him. Yes, please do. I love. Uh, <laughs> please don't text me. Though. I love engaging with the listeners and then reporting back to Zach. <laughs> It usually really uh, gets our morning going. Any compliment at all thrown Matt's way really helps the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I usually leave out the ones where people are like, God, Zach is such a pretentious ass. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> um, most of those comments coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, what else? Anything? No, I mean, I feel like I don't know how long this has been going, but... Yeah, we're good. All right. We're good on time. Um, So, uh, I guess that's it for Blue Velvet. Um, We got. We never say what we're going to do next, but we got a huge episode coming up next. Oh, that's a tease. Huge. That's a tease. Huge. All right. So, be ready for that, and uh, we'll see you next time. Just some water.